0: and get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MeatEater for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news stories and strategies.
1: And now, your host, Mark Kenyon welcome to the wired to hunt podcast i'm your host mark kenyon and this is episode number 323 and today in the show we're tackling listener questions on topics ranging from how to kill a late season deer to identifying the most attractive food sources throughout the year to how to recover from missing a deer and much much more Today, we're doing a good old-fashioned Mark and Dan Q&A podcast. Uh, we're, we're in December now. We've been hunting for a few months. Lots of people have been out there, lots of emails, lots of Facebook messages, lots of tweets and Instagram notes, people asking, what about this? How should I do this? What would you do in this situation? What do you think about, you know, my dad doing this crazy thing in the woods. Is he going to screw it up? We've gotten so many notes like this. I figured we need to do a Q and a where we answer some of these. So I submitted kind of a request out to you, the people and said, Hey, if you got any more last minute questions you want answered, send them in. And I got I don't know hundreds probably of these so that's the game plan for today uh, Dan you and me are going to do our best to answer as many of these questions as we can almost rapid fire style so we can get to as many as possible um, stuff related to late season hunting which is what's happening right now stuff related to just general hunting experience stuff tactics, uh, mental things, uh, some funny stuff, kind of across the board. Uh, So do you have your Q&A cap on, Dan? Are you ready to tackle the tough questions? Yes,
2: um, but it's not quite on yet. Oh. I have have the cap sitting next to me (laughs) and I'm going to put it on right after I take off my – I have – some questions Uh-oh. about your book. <laughs>
1: Uh-oh. This is this is <laughs> I have questions about your book hat that you're wearing. Yeah, this is this is the have questions about your book hat. So, oh, So,
2: while you while you you know, you you reach out to people about the Q&A, "Hey, send send me some questions that you have. I'm getting bombarded with questions about your book and I didn't even write it." So, I <laughs> I'm, I'm getting I'm getting messages and Funny thing is screenshots,
1: uh,
2: huh. uh, when people are searching for, for that wild country, um, there come, there's, I don't know what it is and you're gonna, you might have some explaining to do cause I haven't really opened the book yet, uh, and, and sat down and read it We you've talked about it, but I didn't know if there was some kind of twist involved in this book that I, that I didn't know about. I know where this is going. <laughs> I know you do. Um, so, so when people, uh, search for your book, there is the, uh, readers also looked
1: at these books or (laughs) yes. If you go on Amazon and you you search for that wild country, it shows you other books that people bought that looked at your book, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So
2: let me just, uh, one kind of stuck out to me and the name of this, uh, this book is called Country Boys is the name of the, the book. It's called well, that, Country Boys.
1: That sounds relevant.
2: Yeah. So I think, hey, uh, it's about these hardworking boys that are out in the country and, you know, they're you know, maybe wild places, things like that. Let me just quickly read the paragraph that describes this book and all the other books that are (laughs) related to that wild country. Uh Something, something about the country brings out the best and sexiest in a man (laughs) and country boys, are a special breed. These tobacco chewing cattle roping icons in temptingly baggy overalls <laughs> or skin tight wranglers rank with cops and soldiers as one of the most potent symbols of the natural masculine male. <laughs> Sweating and sensual, not from the gym, but from honest hard work and play, they come in all shapes and sizes and erotic potential. So, oh, wow. There's a, you know there's uh, there's that one and then there's one called hard hats i'm not even going to get into that one okay <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so just to let you know that <laughs> what oh, i'm getting bombarded i'm i'm getting messages about upon messages about me having to give you shit on the <laughs> podcast about what is wild country really about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I started getting some messages like, too, that's some pretty funny stuff. I I can't explain the country boys one (laughs) other than the title, but I can explain if you, if you search on Amazon or if you look on the Amazon, like for the regular book, there's a whole bunch of like romantic, uh, lusty books suggested as similar books to read based off of what other people looked at. (laughs) Yeah, And I do think I can explain that one at least it's because that wild country, my book was part of this Amazon first reads program, which got sent out to this big list of people that are signed up for this Amazon readers group. And my guess is that a lot of the people that are signed up for this Amazon readers group must be, I don't know, middle-aged women that need some more romance in their life. So they probably like romance books and they just so happen to also get recommended this book. Um, which was way outside of their usual comfort zone, probably. But it might also be because you might remember I had, uh, you know, I had some interest from uh, from companies with, with modeling a long time ago. If you remember those early jokes about the Abercrombie modeling uh, gig, right. Right. Um, Which I which I didn't really do. That was just what someone jokingly said to me. But uh, but yeah, pretty funny that all that stuff's coming up. I can't I can't fully explain the Country Boys one, but Dude,
2: I I think there might be a niche that that we're not really seeing where your next book could be directed towards. <laughs> if this, just imagine, <laughs> just imagine if you you take this hard 90 degree right and start writing these sensual love novels yeah. that take place in, on public land. Now you're hitting it from both sides. That's a, and <laughs> that's when the money comes in, man. You're, I'm telling you're,
1: you're going both directions on that one. I, I get what you're saying. There might, be, <laughs> there might be a future there for me if this whole thing doesn't work out. I'm, uh, all, I'm
2: already envisioning the cover. You know, you were on the cover of Outdoor Life. Uh-huh. Now imagine, the cover of one of these books, right? You're like, your shirt off, just sweaty, (laughs) you know, your backpack on, you know, your bow in your hand, and then some... beautiful woman quivering at your leg. Oh, man.
1: I was going to I was going to use the beginning of this podcast to pitch my book, but now I don't know if I can after this whole oh, di- no, diatribe. Now,
2: this is this is where the attention, right? Everybody's listening right now. <laughs> now is when you pitch your book.
1: <laughs> Go buy that wild country. <laughs> 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 uh, but do not accidentally buy Country Boys, though. That's <laughs> it's right. a very different Completely book. Completely
2: different book. <laughs> Warning. Completely different book.
1: Oh, my gosh. That is awesome. In all seriousness, thank you for teeing off the conversation about my book because uh, this thing that I've been alluding to you for years about, you probably remember for years me saying I've got this secret writing project, secret writing project. Um, well, it's now officially, officially published. Um, it was out a month early for Amazon Prime members because of this special deal with Amazon. But now it's it's everywhere else. You can get the hardcover, you can get the paper cover even and the audiobook version is out there, Dan. So if you want to listen to it, that is now available on Audible or wherever else you want to get your audiobooks. And I actually narrated it myself. Um, so if you listen to this podcast, and you like listening to me jabber on, you can listen to me for almost nine hours reading you my book. What do you think, Dan? Would you want to listen to it?
2: That's 9 hours of you reading a book.
1: 9 hours of me reading to you. Wow. Um so that's not
2: a one-day thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Depends on how long your work day is. You could you could sit there and listen while you're working.
2: I'm, I'm going to commute. I I you sent me the book.
1: I'm not going to read
2: it. I don't have time. I didn't expect Uh, you to. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to buy the audio book and I'm going to listen to that. And I think that's going to be my best shot because I can do that while I'm multitasking.
1: Exactly. Listen to it when you're on the treadmill or driving the kids to babysitting or whatever. You can yell at your kids and don't have to find your place back in your book. It's just your, it just keeps going. It's there. Yeah, man. That is the, that's the busy man and woman's version for you, right there on audible that wild country. You know, we talked about this in your podcast last week, which thank you again for having me on the show. That was fun. Yeah, um, absolutely. If you, if anyone listening right now wants to get a more in-depth understanding of what went into writing this book and the process and how I handle adversity and dealing with failure and self-doubt, all that kind of stuff, go listen to Dan's Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. It was a really cool conversation, I think. Yeah. Um but I'll tell you in short, really quick here, if you guys have listened over the years, if you followed me, you know that I and Dan care a lot about public land. You know that we've gone out there and done a lot of these things. Over the last 10 years, I've been going out and spending as much time as I can out in wild places, sometimes for two to four months a year. My wife and I have been out there, camped out on public land, um, hunting, hiking, fishing, camping, rafting, kayaking, doing all these different things. and. Over the last five years, as many of you know, given the fact we've talked about this in the podcast, there's been a lot of controversy around these places. And so as I was trying to wade through all this controversy in 2015 and 16 and 17, as I was trying to understand it, I realized that I didn't understand how we got here. I didn't understand the history of these places. I didn't understand the what all this uproar was about. So I started reading and started researching and trying to figure it out myself and try to understand the current situation. And as I did all that, I realized there's a lot more people out there just like me that don't understand this too, especially those people that don't live in the middle of public lands in Montana or Wyoming or something like that. So that's why I decided to write this book. It is all about the history of our public land system and what's going on right now and what we need to be thinking about in the future. And I, and I go through all that information and tell that story through a series of my own adventures. So I write about a backpacking trip in Yellowstone national park with my wife. I write about a shed hunt and camping trip with Furter in North Dakota. Uh, we do a pack rafting and fishing trip in the Bob Marshall wilderness of Northern Montana. Uh, we've got other hiking trips. We got a peak bagging trip in Nevada. I've got a black bear hunt with Randy Newberg. Um, all sorts of stuff. My my caribou hunt in Alaska, all that's in the book and a whole lot more. Um, it's my heart and soul. I mean, I know I told you this already, Dan, but I've never worked on something so much in my life. I've never worked on something that was harder, but it is the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. Um, so I'm making a hard pitch to you guys right now. If you've listened to this podcast, if you follow the Wired Hunt blog, if you follow me on social media, if you've done any of those things, I don't often ask you for things or pitch you hard on things, um, but I'm doing that today. So I hope you forgive me for that. Um, but I'm going to read you a couple little quotes here from the back of the book. This one here is from Steve Rinella. You might have heard of this guy. He said about this book, right now, groups and individuals as diverse as the nation itself are coalescing around the rallying cry of keep it public as we fight to defend the environmental integrity and accessibility of our public lands. Let Mark Kenyon's That Wild Country be our guiding text. Not only does Kenyon tell you why and how we have public lands, he also tells you why and how we'll keep them. Read this book and join the movement. There's Steve's pitch to you. My pitch is... This is this is all I got. This is the best work I could possibly do. I'm putting it out there in the world for you guys. I really, really, really hope you enjoy it. I hope you read it. It would mean the world to me if you would pick up a copy, um, if you would buy a copy for a friend or a family member for Christmas. This is uh, nothing has meant more to me. So please, I'm just going to come right out and say it. If you've ever listened to this podcast and taken any value from it, Here's your one best chance to support me and say thank you for all the free stuff we put out there. Please buy That Wild Country. And that is my pitch. I won't bug you about it anymore today at least. <laughs> yeah. There it is, Dan.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, and that's that's a, a good point you made at the end there, is how many episodes of Wired to Hunt are there?
1: 320-some episodes of this podcast. We did 60-some episodes of the 100% Wild podcast. 10 years worth of articles, uh, yep. whole yep. lot of stuff out there.
2: All that's free, right? You may have to listen to a couple uh, commercials, uh, throughout the episodes, but you're not paying for anything, right? So all that free content that you've gotten, um, now take what's it, what's the book cost? 25 bucks, something it's like that. Fi-
1: 15 At, bucks with, on Amazon right now, 15.
2: and That's probably free shipping if, if you buy yeah. it off Amazon. Yeah. So right there, uh, 15 bucks for multiple years worth of content. Uh, yeah. Go buy the damn book.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Audio version, hardcover version. It's all out there online or in stores, wherever you want to go. So that's the book plug. Um, now we got Q and a session, Dan. Q and
2: a we, Q and a. We, need a, we need a, a transition intro to Q and a podcast. I think I've talked about this before, where you push a button on some board somewhere. Yeah, like a soundboard, yeah. Yeah, edit it in, and it's like an explosion. It's like, Q&A, and, and then that's it. You know, they, they have that on the Mike and Mike show or uh, Golick and Wingo show now or whatever,
1: you know. I, feel, nice like, I feel like it, we need that Q&A, but then there should be an echo afterwards. So try it again, do the explosion, do your announcement, and then I'll do the echo, and then we can start.
2: Okay. <laughs> Q&A. Hey, 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 There you hey, go. Hey that's it now, <laughs> edit that in to every Q&A all
1: I right mean, there you go I think that's a good plan so with that out of the way questions we've got a whole lot of questions question number one Dan comes from Alex Alex asked what should you do after missing a buck Should I go right back after him the next day? Should I change spots or should I give him a few days or weeks? I'm asking for a friend who just threw out 14 years worth of practice and missed a buck yesterday.
2: (laughs) 14 years.
1: Yeah. that's what he said.
2: 14 years and only missing one deer, man, that's pretty good. If you ask
1: me, I guess that's a good point. (laughs) But what, what would you say? Have you ever missed a buck? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Missed a buck, bad shots. Yeah, I've done it. I've done it all. I have two. I have been there. It is something like you said, just about everybody will have missed a deer or two or three. I know guys that have missed three times at the same deer. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if I want to throw my buddy under the bus right now, but I have a friend who we know who missed the same buck twice this year. Um, so it happens. It's brutal, but it does happen. Um, so what is your take on how, how do you, how have you handled that in the past, Dan?
2: Yeah. So the first thing that you do is you watch the reaction of the deer. Hey, did he catch your scent? Did he catch you moving in the stand? Right. Because there are times when you miss a buck and they just kind of stand there and they don't know what to do. Right. Uh, if they don't have your wind and they didn't see you in the tree stand, then I think it's safe to go right back after him. Now, if you shank the shot, And he's there and he's looking right at you in the tree and then he runs away blowing and, you know, then he's – then you got to give it some time or go attack him from a different position. But – and the other thing is, is go shoot your bow. So first identify whether or not the, you know, the buck is truly spooked because – Dude, trees fall in the woods all the time. There's noise cracking in the woods all the time, and it spooks them, but then they recover from it real quick, and then they go back right back into their routine, especially if it was the rut. This buck is probably forgot about that shot in five minutes, especially if he was chasing a doe. And then lastly, dude, just shoot your bow. Go and shoot your bow. Go and shoot your bow.
1: Yeah. I I think I'm right there with you. I, I think, number one, you make a really good point about determining what kind of spook it was. So, yeah, did he smell you? Did he see you? How bad is he spooked? That's going to help you determine if you should go back in there. I, I would say, in general, unless, you know, unless he was smelling you and looking at you and you shot at him, all those things, maybe if that happens, he's going to booger out of there for a while, especially if it's early season or late season. But if it's in the middle of the rut and you shoot at him but he doesn't really know what happened, just like you said, <clears throat> you can still get a shot at him. Um, right. Maybe just shift your location a little bit, but but keep after it. Um, <clears throat> the biggest thing, I think, though, is the mental side, getting yeah. over the mental side of it. So I think um, sometimes you need to take a step away and just clear your head. So that might mean taking a day off from hunting and shooting your bow or, or even like like my buddy. He missed a deer twice within a week, I think. Same buck and kind of our advice to him was hey you know what just take a couple days off and don't shoot the bow just like step away clear your head come down from this he was so upset so just frustrated by it all like take a little bit to just just come back down to ground zero and then check your bow make sure everything's shooting okay make sure there's no issues regain that confidence and then go back out there feeling good again um but you don't necessarily want to just rush right back out there um without first double checking everything and just getting your head right. So take some time and, and shake it off. That The biggest thing, though, I guess the, the final thing I'd say is is handling the disappointment. So I remember the last time I missed a buck, I was so mad at myself. I mean, you know, you we know this very well, Dan. We work so much. We put in so much time. We build this moment up into such a huge thing in our lives. And then the opportunity arrives and you miss it. Everything came down to this two seconds and you miss it and your opportunity is slip, slipping through your fingers. That can be devastating. So my my perspective would be feel that in the moment, you know, accept like this sucks. This is a huge bummer. Like you're going to feel that pain, that frustration, that anger, disappointment, whatever it is. Feel it for a moment. But then very quickly you have to say, okay, I have to move on. Like, there's no point spending any more time or energy dwelling on what happened. You have to kind of take that shitty feeling, put it in a box, and throw it over the bridge. It's water under the bridge. You gotta move on now. Because no amount of laying in bed and thinking about it is gonna change what happened. All you can do is change what happens next. Um, we had this conversation the other day on your podcast, I think, about, you know, or maybe it was, maybe it was an earlier episode of Wired to Hunt where we were talking about understanding what you can control and what you can't. Well, you can't control the deer you missed, but you can control how you handle the next opportunity. So that is what I would say.
2: Yeah. And just a, a little quick tip. You know, we have range finders. I say use them. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's sometimes hard to range a deer while it's coming in, especially during the rut, right? It, they're moving all, they're constantly moving. It's not like it's a food source. Some of these stand locations where they just stop, the deer are moving through an area. So what I always do is I am active with my range finder the entire hunt, right? I'm ranging trees and I'm saying, okay, if he comes up, um, Ahead of that tree, it's this yardage. If he comes behind that tree, it's this yardage. And that's what I did with my buck this year was I ranged like four trees all in a row. So I knew what pin I needed to use based off of whether or not he walked in front of this tree or behind this tree. And, and then when the moment of truth came, I didn't even have to use my range finder because throughout that entire hunt, I was active knowing and thinking about the range that these deer were moving at.
1: Yeah. Really good point. Those pre, pre range as much as you can and, and lock it into your head. I, I like yep. quiz myself. So, okay, that tree is okay. I, I, I range everything. And then afterwards I, I try to make sure I remember that spot. I remember that spot. I remember this distance because yeah, things can happen so fast in the moment. And you might not be able to pull up your range finder. And interestingly, the buddy I was talking about earlier and another friend of mine, the two guys that I know that missed bucks this year, both of those situations were because of misranging a deer and not ranging it in the moment. So something to keep in mind. Yep. Um, Next question is from a guy named David, and he says that 20 to 30 inches of snow just fell in northwest Wisconsin. Now what do I do? Uh, So hunting in deep snow, hunting in fresh snow. Uh, Dan, you have any experience in really snowy conditions?
2: Yeah. um, So a couple years ago, uh, we had a lot of snow during the late season. And I'll be honest with you, it made things really easy. It's just a matter of making sure these deer are coming through during shooting hours. Um, Especially throughout the Midwest, there was still a lot of standing crops. And I don't know what his portion of Wisconsin's like, but deep snow means that these deer are going to be using trails. And more than likely, they're going to be using the same trails over and over and over again to these big ag fields or to whatever food source is now above the snow. Right. So for me, it just becomes easier to not only locate the deer, but put yourself in a position because they're not taking any, they're not taking wide angles. They're not taking the long way around. They're pretty much this time of year though, as the rut is winding down, they're going from point A to point B and they're back to a pattern. And I think deep snow really puts them on a railroad track back and forth.
1: Yeah you can learn a lot with that snow on the ground. The other thing I would say is just thinking about how a heavy snow event will stop and start deer movement. So what I've seen is that during that big snow event, Movement might slow down, you know, if it's like a blizzard, if you've got a mega snow, just like if you've got a huge rainstorm coming through, oftentimes that'll slow things down during the worst of it. But very soon after that big snow, after everything's been bedded down for a day or two, now all of a sudden it's, you know, it's time to get the feed bag on. It's time to get out there and feed again, especially if if you've got really cold temperatures that typically follow something like that and a high pressure system probably following a storm like that. Those deer are going to get on their feet in a big way. So if I have got a big snowstorm push through, as soon as that storm passes and you've got that bluebird, high pressure, cold day, and now all that fresh snow on the ground, I'm hitting it hard right after that. I'm going to go in and, and hunt a better spot, um, especially during the late season. You know, at this time of year, these bucks have been hunted like crazy for two or three months. So I usually get more conservative i'm switching away from my rut tactics which were hunt 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 go 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 go, all day as much as possible now i'm back to a more conservative approach where i'm just hunting evenings usually and i'm being much more selective about the days i hunt waiting for either a weather event like this to really get deer on their feet or some kind of intel to tell me that the deer i'm or a mature buck i'm after is is moving so you know a bunch of snow like that would usually for me be a green light. It's go time.
2: And take advantage of trail cameras in situations like that if you have them, because, you know, I, I mentioned the, the the trail that these deer are using. And uh, from my experience, they're using them a lot. Get a trail camera on that trail. And even if they're coming through after shooting hours, you might be able to use that data from the trail camera to sneak in further into the timber or further or closer to a bedding area and maybe even catch them coming back on a morning hunt.
1: Yeah. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you
0: in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced, brake light fixed, quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop. To get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do it yourself. And you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto O-R-E-I-L-L-Y O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater.
1: Another thing to think about with snow too, as you, as you're talking about the scouting benefits of it, it also makes it a lot easier to see. So observation type situations where you're maybe you don't know exactly where to go yet, but you can set up an observation stand with a view. And when there's all that snow on the ground, you'll be able to see much further. You'll be able to see where that deer is passing through. And, and so watch a time or two or or move in and hang a camera and then sit back and watch other spots and then see what the intel tells you, then take your strike. Okay. Um, it's It's back to that we we talk about these like calculated strikes a lot during the early season or the late season and and that that's where my mind is shifted right now along those same lines. Uh, I've got another question here from h g a something or other, and he just asked, you know, do you give up all day sits in December or is there still midday action um I personally and I, I kind of alluded to this already, but I personally switch mostly to just afternoon hunts now um not that you couldn't do morning hunts but you just better have a good route in and a good way out um but usually you're going to get a longer period of movement in the afternoons during the late season and it's just easier to get in there um so that's what i'm usually doing because it's it's uh, the stakes are higher now because these deer have been hunted and hunted and hunted. They just they're even more unwilling to deal with hunting pressure than they were a month or two ago. So, I'm just trying to be as careful as possible at this point. I, I'm much more calculated. Um, I, I, does that make sense to you, Dan?
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not hunting all day anyway. But uh, I'm sure as hell not uh, sitting all day late season. New
1: question. From Mike, Your question. do toe warmers work in Alpha Burley Pros or similar rubber boots um, or are they oxygen starved and don't work? Um, I'll tell you that I've used toe warmers in my rubber boots and they seem to work pretty decent. I'm not saying they are perfect. I'm not saying they don't sometimes cool down, but in general, on those super duper cold days when... You know, I'm talking like when we had those single digit days or near zero in early November, Dan, I think you had some days like that. That was the one time I needed to bust out the toe warmers and they helped. Um, So, yes, I usually don't need them, but every once in a while I'll bust them out and I'm glad I did. What do you think? So I completely
2: changed my thought process on boots this year and it worked. Uh, In my opinion, last year I rocked the Alpha Brilli Pros uh, all season long, but there's something about, I don't care what the brand is, something about a big rubber boot, especially in cold conditions where that rubber is, it it just freezes, right? It's going to turn into the temperature that's outside eventually. And so what I did is I switched to the Lacrosse Atlas from the Navigator series that they have. And uh, I think you wore those boots on the, uh the, the backwater strip, right? Yeah, the boundary bow- water So I,
1: I was running the, the really similar ones, but the, the Windrose ones. Windrose, yep. yep. Same from the same series, the yes. new navigator series. Very similar. So
2: so anyway, um I wore two pairs of socks. I put on my Atlas from the Navigator series, and then what I did was I used boot warmers this year. Uh so oh, Yeah, I, w- I saw this from, uh, so from a gear perspective, it's called Arctic shield was the name of the company. And I just throw those on over top and that worked great. And on the coldest day, I put those toe warmers in, or the, the, the hand warmers really was what they were in the, at the end of the boot or of the, uh, the boot warmer or the boot sock or whatever you want to call it. And this year, I had zero, zero problems with, uh, with my feet getting cold. So I went, went with a less insulated boot, two pairs of socks like I would have in the Alpha Alphabrilli Pros, but I put that boot cover on and there was one day where my feet got a little uncomfortably cold, but it was bearable. And other than that, not one problem at all. So it's something I'm going to be doing
1: uh, until there's something better that comes along. That's a, good, that's a good tip. Um, I'll have to check out those uh, boot warmers for those Arctic days when it just gets crazy cold. That's an interesting thing to look at. Oh, man. It was, it, it was a lifesaver. And
2: to be honest with you, when you have a, a day like that where typically I get out of the timber, let's just say if there's no activity by 10 on most days, I was sitting until 11 and catching some of this – I don't know, a late morning activity, nothing crazy, but it allowed me to stay in the stand longer. And, uh, for the guys that like to sit all day, it might be an option.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll add if you're going to run the rubber boots still, like I've got my knee high lacrosse um, my one thing I would tell you there is at least in my experience, I would always rather have my boots a size too big than a size too small. Because if yes. you get your feet crammed in there on the super cold day and you can't move your toes around, you are doomed. Yeah, You're doomed. And you better make sure you've, you're comfortable with a nice thick wool sock, maybe even two if you're going to hunt in the super-duper crazy cold days. Yeah. Um, so I run I run a slightly larger size. I run the 1,600-gram Thinsulate Alpha Burley Pros, I think they are. And then a wool sock. And if it gets really bad, you know, I'll toss in those toe warmers and and that will usually get, get you by. I've also heard some people, I've never done this. I don't remember where I heard it either, but someone told me that oftentimes it's the metal platform of your stand that transfers so much of that cold up through your feet. So if you put a thin layer of cloth or a, you know, outdoor carpet on your tree stand, it supposedly will keep your feet warmer. I don't know. I've never done it, but it was an interesting thing that kind of stuck with me, um, over the years is something maybe I should try someday.
2: And that's one thing we talk about on the hunting gear podcast is that it is air is the best insulator. So you have to have some kind of fluff around your foot, whether that's a, a, a really thick sock. And when I mean thick, I mean, it has to be able to not be compressed, right? If you're, if you're cramming your feet, that means it's compressed and there's actually less air surrounding your foot. So if you, if you have, um, too many socks on, it could probably be detrimental. And if your boot is too tight, it could probably be detrimental because air is actually what keeps your foot warm.
1: Yeah. Very good point. I mean, that's the whole thing with like down insulation, right? It's creating that air, those air pockets. Um, okay. Moving on rapid fire. Question from Travis: Who would win in a fight between Furter and Dan?
2: Come on, man, that's not even fair. That's, <laughs> it's not a. You know, I'm a cheap. I'm a cheap guy. I would probably use my my kindness towards him to take advantage of him. Oh. And when he's like, I would reach for the hand to shake it, and then I just kick him in his dong, <laughs> and that's how I would win. Right? Oh. I'm, I'm kind of cheap. I mean, in a in a in a fight, there's no rules. Anything goes. True. Me. I suppose. But I wouldn't hit Furter because he's gorgeous.
1: <laughs> well, there you go, folks. I guess Furter would win because Dan fell into that country boy kind of love. <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: I see what you, you, you took the conversation that we had at the beginning of the podcast uh, huh. and then you brought it. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That's good. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think you would win, Dan. Um <laughs> I just think that Josh, he, he's a little hesitant. He's a little bit too polite. He's too nice. He, he takes a lot of hits and he doesn't send them back. So
2: so I I knew a guy like that in college, right? He's a guy. He didn't talk much and we gave him shit all the time and just gave him shit until one day it snowballed and then he beat the shit out of a guy <laughs> uh, at in the back of a bar. And there's one guy just picking on him and picking on him, picking on him. And then this guy snapped. And you got to be careful for guys like that because when they snap, they be, they have – unlimited power and they're dangerous <laughs> and further could be that guy.
1: You're right. He might snap someday. <laughs> thank, thank goodness. He's a really good guy, right? Uh, <laughs> continue on. Cody asks chicken or beef tacos. I'll let you answer that first beef. No question, but really the better answer is venison tacos.
2: Yeah. Okay. Wild game. So after my rut hunt, or my uh, elk hunt, every year we come off the mountain and we go to this little um, taco place and just gorge ourselves on tacos, the post elk hunt meal. And I'm all for random, right? I, I like beef. I like chicken. I like fish. I like uh pork belly. I like, uh, all, all these, I like variety. I'm a taco guy. It's like, I, I'm a, I love tacos period. Me too. Best tacos I ever uh, I've ever personally made are from um, a bird that I shot down in Texas called a rhea. It looks like an ostrich, oh, yeah. and I turned those into tacos with a chipotle uh, mayonnaise type of sauce with a a, a, s- a slaw and added. I think there was some like pepper in it. Oh
1: man, that does sound pretty good. money. money. So does that. Does that mean chicken? (laughs) That is your answer? Giant chicken. (laughs) All right. We're divided on that one. Uh, Dom asks, would you take a straight on shot at a whitetail with a bow?
2: Depends on how far he is. Ten yards, yes. I've done it before. Uh, Didn't work out. I mean, I killed him. uh, But uh, he went like 60 yards and dropped dead. He dropped right as I saw him. If I was in a ground blind, he was just standing there calm. 10 yards, I'm confident I would okay. shoot a deer straight. If you look at the opening on their body, uh, their shoulders kind of open up, and it's almost a direct line into their Boilermaker. Right from Right from where the shoulders come to, I don't know, like where the neck meets almost.
1: But it's a relatively small zone compared to that broadside or quartering away shot. 50
2: 50 yards 40 yards 30 yards maybe even 20 yards no but if he's 10 and inside yes i'll take that shot
1: okay i probably would not but i would probably be sitting there like god dang it should i have taken that shot i wish i'd taken that shot maybe i should have taken that shot if i didn't end up getting to kill that deer i would probably stew on it a lot but probably in the moment um i would just Air on the conservative side because if you pull it an inch or two to the left or an inch or two to the right either way you're hitting that leg bone and that's not going to be a a fatal hit shot but i know certainly people do it and can pull it off but i would i would probably say if you are not really experienced or very confident in your archery skills that's one that's better relegated for a, a wait and see situation right um okay how about this one. Um, well, I can really quickly touch on this. Travis asked, any updates on Tran? Is he still alive? Um, I don't know 100%. I hunted for him a couple times the first week of gun season, and uh, I did not see him while I was out there hunting. I saw him one night glassing when I wasn't hunting and then went out three times, didn't see him. I have not checked cameras, though, since, like, November 10th. But I've got a neighbor who got pictures of him as recently as November 21st, I think it was. So he's still out there as of then. Um, I haven't heard from anyone in the area that's killed that buck. So fingers crossed he's still around. I'm going to start hunting him again here in the next few days, hopefully a little bit, and uh, we'll see what happens. There is one new buck that's shown up, Dan. Okay, I'm uh, this listening. is this is from a, this is a neighbor intel again. It's kind of cool. I'm getting to know more and more of my neighbors. I, I like it and I don't like it. I like it because we're sharing information. You know, it, it's good to have positive relations with your neighbors, help each other out, so on and so forth. Um, but it's also stre- a little stressful in that now I know, you know, how much these bucks roam around, or all the times that someone came really close to shooting a deer, or heard that another neighbor saw this deer, and so it's almost. Uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss, you know, now I know everything that's going on. I'm like, Oh gosh, this buck almost got shot. This buck got missed. Like, so for example, the big 10 pointer that passed on twice this year, RB, yep. um, yep. he got shot at and missed. Um, like the guy grazed over his back. I think it was either over the back or under the belly, but grazed him. Um, so he made it through another shot opportunity. A different neighbor saw that same buck just over the property line, didn't shoot him. Um, Tran was seen and drawn back on by someone else, but they couldn't get a shot. So I'm hearing all this stuff and, you know, it's taking years off my life. But um, the point being is that one of these neighbors has gotten trail camera pictures of a new buck that looks definitely mature uh, that I believe I saw once last year and got some pictures of. But he's, he's not on the farm at all until like mid to late November. And then he showed up for a little while. And then was gone again for the rest of the year. Well, that buck is supposed, to, apparently back in the area. And he's just, he's like an eight pointer, but either both of his brow tines were busted off or they're just like nubbins, like not even an inch tall. Um, so essentially just a really big six pointer, but a, a big body, deep chest, swayed back. Um, so at this point, if that deer that is a no brainer, four plus year old comes by, um, and he's also a bonus buck. He's not in the area. I wouldn't expect to see him, you know, back next year. Uh, I would probably have to take a crack at him at this at this time now that we're in December. So yeah. maybe maybe there's two bucks I would take a shot at now. So that's awesome, man. That's the uh, hunting update there. Uh, okay, continuing on. I this is I don't I apparently didn't write this guy's name down. But do you get your bucks mounted, and if so, shoulder or euro? I do get my bucks mounted. Um, I do both. Sometimes a shoulder mount, sometimes a euro mount. Um, I'm increasingly doing more euro mounts because my wife is getting upset about us not having wall space left anymore, and she <laughs> she doesn't like these rooms packed with big shoulder mounts. She thinks it's creepy or tacky or something. So we, we disagree on some things. Uh, but she's claiming now that I shouldn't shoulder mount anything, and I'm not I'm not big into antler size or inches like you know we talk about this a lot that's not what i'm measuring things by personally but my wife is now instituting an antler criteria on what i can mount she doesn't think i should mount anything that's not 140 or bigger um i'm telling her if i kill tran who cares about the score i've been chasing this buck for two years super cool buck i'm mounting him so we might have some knockdown dragouts over that in the future <laughs> <laughs> what about you
2: uh I'm to the point in my life where it's going to be a shoulder mount. I'm not going to shoot it if it's, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm, I'm blessed to be where I'm at in life, uh, in Iowa where not only can I hunt mature bucks, but a mature buck typically means it's going to be, it's typically going to have a rack worth mounting. And if it doesn't have a big rack, there's going to be a story behind it. Like if I would have shot, for example, dork this year. Yeah. Old buck, nothing in the rack really. And, uh, so I'm to the point now where if I kill a buck, it's going to get, it's going to get a shoulder mount. I don't have that problem quite yet. I got about, I got about 10 feet to, uh, left to play with on my wall in my house to where I'm going to be able to, you know, fill it up over the, over the next couple of years. But once I reach that point, I'll cross that bridge.
1: Yeah. That's a tricky bridge to have to cross. My, my wife's, uh, I literally have no more space in the home where she's okay with me putting shoulder mounts. I've got, <laughs> I've got maybe one more spot and then it's okay. What do I do? Fix up my barn, uh, build a writer's shack or something where I put mounts or I don't know what I'm yeah. going to do. Uh, it's a good problem. My new
2: office, out. my new office sucks because it's got sloped, slope ceilings uh-huh. and I can't hang a, a mount in this room unless it's like a foot off the floor.
1: That'd make for a fun uh, visit for the kids up there to see the mountain. Oh, at level. yeah.
2: No more, no more kids in this room.
1: Ooh, locking it down. <laughs> New question. Well, yes, go. <laughs> Cody asks, uh, this is a different Cody than the chicken or beef taco Cody. Um, Cody
2: with a K or with a C?
1: They're both with Cs. Okay. All right. All right. This Cody says, do you think that does will blow at pushy bucks? So will does, you know, that alarm blow that a doe will make when she's spooked? Will they ever make that noise at bucks or is it just when they're spooked by people or something? What have you seen, Dan? Man, I've seen just about everything. Uh, what's crazy is I had
2: this three-year-old standing in front of me this this year. And uh, this was before the rut really got rocking and rolling and I think that bucks are so used to does blowing that it's almost the boy who cried wolf scenario where they just, unless they can identify the, the problem, they they almost ignore them. They, they, they'll put their head up and they'll look around. It may, it's, may, hey, maybe I should scan the area and uh, see what's going on. But I've seen does blow so often and the deer, the bucks almost ignore them.
1: Hmm. I, I, I could, I don't t- know if
2: that answered the question.
1: No. But. I mean, I, I think what I get what you're saying, and I, I wish, I think that is, that's gotta be the case in some situations because, because it happens so much. You, if they freaked out all the time, they heard these does blowing, you're right. They wouldn't do anything. Um, but whenever I hear a doe blow, at least when I'm in Michigan, especially if it's, you know, getting towards prime time, I just always think like once that alarm sounds off anywhere, that one wily old buck's going to say, oh, well, there's a chance there's something out there. I'm, at least he's not going to go out to somewhere like an open transition or a field or something like that. He's probably going to play it safer for the next 20 minutes maybe. Um, but to the specific question about will does blow up pushy bucks, I hadn't seen that personally until just recently. Um, this year, actually, I saw that happening and had another guy tell me the same thing, that he's heard that happen often. Um, and then I was hunting on the back forty recently not recently i guess this is the day i killed my buck so november 5th i think it was and you could hear this doe blowing in the swamp blowing and blowing and blowing i'm like what is going on in there you know did a coyote run in there and spook this deer or what and then out runs two bucks you could see there's does blowing 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 and then two bucks come running out out to the field stop in the field turn around Run back in there, and then you saw a doe running around in there too. So it was just a doe, I think, that was getting chased by these bucks, and they were running around chasing her and doing crazy stuff, and that doe was just frazzled or sick of it or or something. Um,
2: There's so many questions that I have in a scenario like that. Did the doe hear the buck but not see him? Uh, right. Could she could she smell him? Uh, because you know, obviously, just walk something making a lot of noise walking through the woods is going to spook you know, spook that doe and I don't know uh, whether she was being pushed or, and, and really like annoyed. So she, I see, I don't think deer can think like that. Right. A deer is not going, I'm going to blow in hopes that it spooks this buck off my butt.
1: Right. It's all instinctual, right? They just react right. to stimuli. It'd be interesting to get in their heads though. Uh, Okay. I got a couple book relay questions here. Drew asks, did you always plan on writing a book, or was it part of your merger with Meat Eater that got the ball rolling? Um, The book was pre-Meat Eater. This is an idea that I started thinking about back in 2015. I didn't do the whole Meat Eater thing till 2018. Um, So as I alluded to earlier, I started – I can't remember exactly when it was, but at some point I decided that the next thing I wanted to do in my career was write a book. That was this next challenge I wanted to try to take on. I think I was telling you about this, Dan. Um, We were talking about, you know, sometimes in your career you feel like you've plateaued or things kind of stagnate. And whenever I feel that way, I I always try to find what's the next thing I can try, what's the next challenge, what's the next step. And so for me it was, okay, I I absolutely love books. I love reading And so because of that, it made sense that I wanted to try writing one, too. And so so I started this whole idea around 2015 and in 2016 and early 17, got really serious and trying to do all the surrounding work that leads to a book getting published. You've got to get a book agent. You need to then put together this big book proposal and then you and your agent need to go and then try to sell that book proposal to a publishing company. And all this takes a whole lot of work and a whole lot of time. Um, So finally, I got a book deal in the fall of 2017. I signed my book deal, and I didn't merge with Mediator until the next spring. Um, so this is pre-Mediator, but they have certainly been really supportive of it and a great help. And I, I got to give a big thank you to Steve Ranella because he was really helpful and in, in kind of giving me confidence to do the book. Because because I actually sat down one time—oh, this was years ago. This is like 2014, maybe—and was drinking a beer with him, talking about you know his career, my career. And he – I told him I want to write a book someday, and he kind of asked me, do you have any ideas? And I pitched a book idea to him, which wasn't exactly the book I ended up with, but it was the precursor to this. And he said, hey, that's actually a pretty good idea. And he then you know, helped me make some connections and uh, pointed me in the right direction for how to get started. And lo and behold, it all worked out. Um, so that's kind of the – cliff notes version of how the book came about it was years and years and years of work but uh but here it is someone else asked here sticking on the book topic Oh, where is it where is it where is it matt asks if the caribou hunt from the book is on meat eater and it is the last chapter of my book is about that alaskan caribou hunt with steve and that is in season seven of the meat eater tv show which is on netflix right now um I think it's episode 13 and 14. It was a two episode one. Um, Definitely check it out. It was, I mean, you've heard the story, Dan. It was a hell of an experience and uh, really was a life changer there for me. So check that one out. Someone else asked where the cover picture was shot for the book. Um, And that is from Grand Teton National Park, which is one of my absolute favorite places in the world. Um, My wife and I have rented a cabin out there several different times for months at a time and we actually got engaged on top of a mountain just outside of the national park too so it was pretty special that the cover of my book could be this place that's got a special place in my heart as well um moving on moose something other moose says or asks would dan be able to sing garth brooks's song much too young to feel this damn old can you sing that for us, Dan?
2: Man, I don't know. Uh I don't think I know that one. No? I, I mean I I know it. I know the song, but
1: uh It's something I'm like gonna, I'm much too old to feel this no, I'm much yeah, no, I'm not gonna get it right. Uh I wish it was much too
2: young and, to feel this damn old. It's something
1: like that, yeah. I, I know the song. Does it resonate with you?
2: uh the the one that res the Garth Brooks song that resonates with me is about the young kid who goes to work on a wheat field or, um and then the lady who runs it who's <laughs> yeah
1: the one who like <laughs> sort of like takes advantage of him when he's a young man of the young man and <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah he had, had some song. early experiences like that huh? <laughs> oh man um Christopher. No, we're going to move on to the different. Okay. Here's one from Adam. He asks, other than your old man or a child of yours, who would you love to share a tree or blind with?
2: I don't know, man. I think it would be cool to share a tree stand or a ground blind with someone who I, I kind of looked up to, but not necessarily who wasn't a hunter. Um, like I've had this notion, my dad's never been hunting eh, other than some, like some pheasant hunting back in the day. Uh, I, I'm, I would like to maybe get him out turkey hunting or something like that. I think that would be cool. You know, that story that you shared, uh about your dad, uh, I don't know if it was on my podcast or your part podcast a while ago, but I, I think I just have this notion that I want to get my father-in-law or my dad out. And do and uh, doing some hunting uh, from from that side of things, but from a celebrity side of things, or uh, someone who is just would be cool would be um, Bo Jackson, mm. the the football player dude. When I was young, yeah. I thought that dude was God. Like, uh, and I'm a huge Oakland Raiders football fan. I, I won't say huge, but that's who I follow. Really? Uh, yeah, Oakland Raiders. And I never do and that. It, it, it was because Bo Jackson. Played on that team.
1: Well, you know, he's a big hunter. Do you know that?
2: Yep. That's that's why. Yeah. uh, I would like to go hunting
1: with him, but yeah. Jeez, you should try to get him on the podcast.
2: Oh, I've tried, dude. I've tried. He's hard to get a hold of.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Huh. Um, Interesting. I never knew you were a Raiders fan. Yep. Um, Well, my answer would be, I'll give two. Number one, I would love to uh, hunt with my grandpa again because I would just love to yeah, I, I just wish my grandpa was around now to see the kind of things that I'm able to do now. And, you know, it all kind of happened because of him. You know, my earliest hunting experience and memory was sitting in the blind with him when I was like five. Um In the summer, we sat in a ground blind and watched this group of seven does come walking out in front of me at like 10 yards. And that's the first deer experience I remember. Um and so to be able to come full circle and, and hunt with him again now as an adult, I, I wish I could do that. Um because he passed away kind of right when I was starting wired to hunt, right as I was entering this new phase of of life in my career, and I think he would really get a kick out of out of seeing where things are now and and, and just get to share that would be cool. Uh as far as like a celebrity or somebody, um Man, it would be it'd be cool to go back and hunt with one of these historical figures, one of these folks that were so influential with um, getting us to where we are now, as far as a hunting community, as far as having wild places still. So somebody like Theodore Roosevelt or Aldo Leopold or George Bird Grinnell, um, one of those huge influencers, would be really interesting to spend time with and just hear what it was like, or Lewis and Clark. What about Lewis and Clark or one of those old, one of those old explorers or trappers. I, I know you and me talk about this a lot when we talk about hunting out West or going out West and you come over these Hills and you see some huge wide mountain Valley. And I can't help but always wonder what was this like 250 years ago? How incredible must it have been to come over this and see thousands or millions of Buffalo spread across the horizon? Um, I'd love to sit down and talk with one of the guys that actually sell that. That yeah. would be that would be pretty cool. Another
2: thing I I often think about is, you know, hunting for how you know hunting how we do it, not necessarily for subsistence, but for like fun. Compared, no, we we hunt for fun, right? right. Everybody well,
1: like with all a bunch of stuff, food, yeah, subsistence, yeah. and fun, and experience, and yes, yeah. but yes, it's a yeah. holistic thing,
2: right. But back in the day, they needed to hunt for survival, yeah. right? A long Nothing time ago. Nothing but survival, yeah. Nothing but survival. So it would be cool to, if you had a time machine to go back and like you, – you read these stories about how the Native Americans would run bison off cliffs. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be intense to see.
1: That'd be crazy. Yeah. I mean it was all about protein acquisition no matter how you had to do it. Yep. Which is uh, – yeah. Just the history is crazy. Um that would be really interesting. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go. But here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? brake light fixed, quick service, they'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us. At O'ReillyAuto dot slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto. O-R-E-I-L-L-Y. O'ReillyAuto dot com slash meat eater.
1: Interesting. Here is one from Justin. And Justin asked a question that I've gotten various versions of from a bunch of different people, uh, which is what my thoughts were on switching from a finger release to a back tension release like the silverback. Um, A lot of people have wondered what I thought about using it this year. Did I use it on a deer, on an actual hunt, et cetera, et cetera? Um, So yes, I used it all this year and I did use it while hunting, including killing the wide eight. Um, So I would tell you I'm a big believer in it it really has helped me I'm not saying I'm perfect. Still, um, not saying that I even executed that shot on the wide eight. Absolutely. Perfectly. I probably could have taken a little bit slower, but it forces you to go slower than you would otherwise. And I think that helped me put a better shot on that deer. I double lunged him, had a good shot. He, he, you know, ran 120 yards and and died right there. And what I like about this is that you can't draw back. And then as soon as that pin hits the, the vitals, you can't just punch that trigger right away. It forces you to add another step to your process. So now I had to draw back. I had to settle in the vitals and then I couldn't hammer it. I had to pull, pull, pull. And then it releases without you forcing it. And that helped. And it helps a lot in shooting just in general too. So one of the things that I started having problems with when my target panic started getting really bad was that I was struggling to shoot with like other people. So I I could shoot fine behind my house, just me. But then when I got a bunch of buddies watching me shoot, then that target panic showed up and I would hit the trigger before I really wanted to. And so now I switched to the silverback through that back tension release and it takes that pressure to push the trigger away from you. I could just go through the process pull back and then then I just focused on aiming and then I just slowly had my shoulder squeeze and then it goes off. There's just not that ability to lose control of it. So my 1 year in high level review is so far so good. I'm going to keep on using it. Um I'm a believer. Dan uh I know you've gone through release issues, questions, you've tr- switched around a little bit in the off season, um, high level plan to stick with what you got going next year, or are you thinking about I'm changing still, things at all? You know,
2: I'm still thinking about it. I would love to get into back tension. Uh, but that means a whole new bow setup. I mean, as far as I need a longer draw length on my bow and, I'm, I'm still thinking about it I had you know all this drama that I yeah. had with my shot this it was I figured it out what it was it was my sight. Uh, and on these sights, they have you know left right up down right but on the site that I had it also had a pivot a center pivot well what I didn't notice was that that line was off so at 40 yards I was dead eye but on Let's see on 20 and 30, I was high, right? And on, uh, 50 and 60, I was low left. So that pivot was off. And so when I realized that and I tightened my screws back up, I was back to being dead eye dick. It, it I just, I didn't notice it until honestly, right before I, I went on my rut vacation.
1: Wow. Well, that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. Figure so, it out then. Uh, I, yeah, I had to tighten the bolts. Uh, real tight and didn't have any more problems with it.
1: Um, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Oftentimes those little gear things can really screw you up. So it does yeah. pay to either take the time to double check all your stuff, or if you're not terribly experienced with archery gear and accessories, go to a good spot, a good, uh, archery shop where they can set you up, right? Make sure it's all there because really all the little tiny things can make a huge difference. Here is another question, a double, double, two questions, kind of from two different people, somewhat related. Um, we got a question here from Skeeter who asks, How do you stay motivated when the hard work isn't paying off? And then I'm going to tack on to that a question from someone with the handle Inches from Success who explained that uh, this guy lost two deer during the season and now is just burned out and struggling to deal with it and stay motivated. How do you combat this? So how do you deal with burnout or when things aren't paying off, Dan? Man, it's
2: been a long time since I've been burnt out. And I just kind of changed my mindset to where, like, isn't this what we love? Right? I I mean, back in the day when I was hunting 20, 30 days out of an entire year, um, I think What really kept me got me back in the game was, hey, take a day if you need it. Take a morning off if you need it. Um but I just keep telling myself that, dude, this is what I love. If I if I could be in a tree stand right now hunting, I'd be in a tree stand right now hunting. I just I haven't felt the burnout in a long time. And I think it's because I changed my mindset on that it's not the deer that's dead at the end of the season that matters. It's about the process, the the journey, right? That is the grind. And I think once you can learn how to love that part of it, then everything else
1: just comes easier. Yeah. Very, very true. And that's, that's probably exactly what I would say. I certainly do get burnout sometimes still. Um, but it all ends up to me or it comes down to having a mental reset, answering those exact questions in my own head. This is this is fun. This is what you love. You know, you don't worry about the end outcome so much. Get back to just enjoying the process. Get back to just enjoying sitting out here in the tree tonight and just, you know, who knows what you're gonna see. Have fun just seeing some does. Have fun just seeing a couple year and a half olds or whatever. I mean, growing up, that was the coolest thing in the world. And I don't ever want to find myself being all upset and disappointed about that just because I didn't see the one buck I'm after. And I'm not saying I sometimes do get you know, frustrated with things like that, but I, I'm trying to get better mentally resetting and remembering that all these experiences are, are special and worthwhile and uh, enjoy it because someday you're not going to be able to hunt or someday the season's going to be done and you're going to wish you were out there hunting. Um, and then finally, I will absolutely echo what you just said, which was take a day off, take a morning off. I used to be, go, 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 don't take any breaks, never surrender, work harder, don't complain, just, just balls to the wall, push through it. And there's a part of me that still says that, but another part of me has also said, you're also supposed to enjoy it. You're also going to be a lot more focused and, and, and happy to be out there if you take a morning or a day to get your mind right or get your family time right. And we spent a bunch of time talking about this the other day on that rut recap podcast. Um, so maybe this is a little bit of our own personal evolution, or we're getting older, we're becoming parents. I don't know what it is, but uh, definitely, definitely changing there. And I think just just remember how lucky we are to be able to do this. That'll help you a lot too.
2: Right, right. And I don't know what I don't know what his scenario is. Right. I, I, we, we share our scenarios. It's hard to know what everybody else's scenarios like. I mean, throw a curveball at yourself. That sometimes and change things up so drastically that, you know, Hey, you know, I've been hunting this stand for 35 years. Well, maybe you should hunt this a different stand or, uh, or move to a different part of the farm or just try something so crazy that gets you thinking it catches you off your feet. It makes you have to think again, as opposed to going to the same tree stand in the same pinch point every single year, just, just try something different.
1: It's pretty simple it's a good that's a good idea and not only will that make it more exciting for you in the moment because it's something different yep. but it might also be the thing that helps you have success too because you're out of your typical rut you're out of the usual that these deer probably know what you're doing so makes a lot of sense two more questions dan then we got to wrap it up uh well one's a question one's a story micah asks when should you hunt green food sources versus grains? Um, let's simplify it more. How do you determine what the top food source will be at any given time? You know, when you're trying to plan where to hunt or trying to think about what food source deer are going to be relating to where you're at, um, is it type of day, is it type of weather, is it time of year, conditions, blah, 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 blah. How do you go about figuring out or trying to guess what types of food sources deer are going to relate to?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one because I think deer are like people, everybody likes different things at different times of year. Um, and, but it's all about what's available. So this year, you know, I went out and I tried, you know, typically I go out and I try to shoot a doe right off the bat and, you know, right, right at the beginning of the rut. And that tells me, you poke a hole in their stomach after you gut them, you can see what they're on. Some deer have corn, some deer have greens just depends on what's available. My, my buck had only acorns in his stomach. Huh. So that tells me right there that this buck probably didn't visit a cornfield very often. So I try to stay away from what the food source, like what I think the food source is and hunt more of the, the terrain features and the bedding areas and things like that. So for me, food source is, unless it's late season,
1: doesn't impact my strategy. Yeah, it's interesting. And we've talked about this difference in our circumstances a lot in the past. You know, you've got a situation where your strategy focuses much more on that big timber stuff and the cover while, you know, on one of my Michigan properties here, I hunt a lot. I don't have almost any of that. I'm almost stuck hunting nothing but food sources and the edges of them simply because of what the property consists of. So I'm really having to focus on which one of these food sources are they going to hit at a given time. Um, so for example, this year on this property, I've got, and this is the first time I ever had this, I've got three different f- food sources on the property I hunt. I've got a cut bean field now, I've got a cut corn field, and then I've got my food plots. So those are green plots. That's a mix of brassicas and oats and clover and some stuff like that. So I'm having the same debate myself. Are they going to, I've got to pick which one of these areas, which parts of the farm I think will be the top spot on any given night. Um, cause that's going to help me choose where to hunt, um, where, you know, that buck might be bedded. He's going to be, if it's, if corn is the top thing, he's probably gonna be bedded in one of the bedding areas, closer to the corn. If the green food source is the top thing, he might be bedded a little bit closer to that one. Um, Now, this could be totally wrong on any given night, but if I'm trying to make a prediction of where the odds are slightly higher, answering this question the right way helps. Um, What I've typically found is that you're going to get better action on the green food sources earlier in the season or when it's slightly warmer, milder temperatures in the late season, let's say. so when we've got a little bit of a warm-up period, maybe it goes into the 30s or 40s in December, they might be hitting your clover still or some oats. Um, if it is like downright crazy cold, then they're going to shift more to a grain, usually. And I'm taking this from some of my own experience, but then also a lot from other guys that have studied this a bunch. Um you know, Mark Drury is a guy who talks about this a lot. He always talks about when it's warmer, go to greens, when it's super duper cold, go to the grains. Um, and it kind of makes sense because, you know, when deer are really needing to pack on some energy, right, they need to stay warm when it's deathly cold out, they're going to go for high energy, high carbohydrate food sources like a grain, which would be corn or soybeans, um, when they're not needed that so much, they might go and hit some candy crops like oats or clover, um, or brassicas, which brassicas are a green food source that can be really, really great in the late season. Great, great. But they're kind of like, like I said, like an ice cream crop or a candy crop because they sweeten up the sugars come out in those brassicas once it starts to freeze, um, so, so that's, what I'm thinking about probably at this time of year, this, the cut corn is going to be top for me on those really cold snowy days, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on that Brassica food plot I've got, because at some point they're going to switch onto that in a heavy way. And, uh, usually it's real late in the season, like the last couple of weeks when there's snow on the ground and it's cold, they, they, for whatever reason in this area, they switch onto it and hit it real hard for a few weeks. So I just have to kind of watch it, got to kind of scout it, observe it. And, um you know, can't be too dependent on just what I'm assuming. So something to think about there. Um, Dan, do you got time for a story? Real quick. Okay. Real quick story. I got to, I got to share because I alluded to this in one of my posts the other day and someone asks me, asked me, Matt said, we got to hear about the bathroom fail. So last year, Dan, you remember the hay bale blind story, right? The poop blind? And I shared that story with everybody because I knew people needed a laugh in their lives. Well, I had a somewhat a different kind of experience, but a related experience on Thanksgiving. I had a great Thanksgiving dinner. All my family was was over. We had grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, and my whole uh, you know. Uh, it's the whole family there for the great big turkey day gathering. We ate all sorts of turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, rolls, vegetables, uh, cranberry sauce, you know, the whole spread. Do you eat – I mean when you have Thanksgiving dinner, how do you approach it, Dan? Do you approach it with moderation or do you say it's balls of the wall, it's Thanksgiving, I'm eating everything I can stuff in my face? Mark, it's almost disgusting how I approach Uh, holidays
2: and the (laughs) amount of food that I consume to the point where I I feel like I'm Gollum from Lord of the Rings. We're just Um, like, don't um, (laughs) think It puts the gravy on everything, you know, like my that precious. is how, yeah, I mean, <laughs> dude, I'm, I'm, I'm hip checking my grandma out of the way. Um, <laughs> I'm in the fridge before it's even set out on for everybody to have, you know, it's just disgusting. Okay. So I am, I am, I
1: am. It, I'm disgusting. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page there because I am the same way. So I had that kind of Thanksgiving dinner. And then, of course, right, you're sitting at the table afterwards, chit-chatting with folks and, you know, having a good old time reminiscing, telling stories. And then I felt that feeling, you know, that feeling. Um, and I had to go take care of some business. So I went and I tried to take care of some business upstairs in the bathroom and I flushed the toilet. And, you know, things didn't go the way you want them to go the toilet didn't flush, right? I'm going to try to keep this as PG as we possibly can, Dan. Um, so oftentimes, as you might have experienced in the past, I'm guessing you've plugged a toilet or two in your day. Um, Just a couple. <laughs> <laughs> so as 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 you might know, right, usually it might not unplug after the first flush, but you, what you got to do is you got to wait till the water goes down. And then you flush a second time and then plunge while it's, as it's flushing and then it will go. Have you experienced that in the past? Yeah. Okay. I know all the time. Yeah, yeah. So so this happens. I I plug it, I plunge it, it's not working. I flush it again, and I'm like, okay, you're gonna plunge it as it's flushing the second time and you'll clear it. And so this happens and the water just keeps coming and coming and coming and my entire family's downstairs and the water keeps coming up further and further and i'm watching i'm like it's gonna stop it's gonna stop right it's gonna stop and then i realize it's not stopping and i grab the rug off the floor and throw it into the bathtub and then i see the water start pouring over the top and then i see everything in the toilet bowl rushing out of the toilet Going all over my parents' floor in the bathroom, I run out the door of the bathroom, run to the other bathroom, grab a bunch of towels while everybody is downstairs in the living room, kind of looking up like, "Why is Mark running up the stairs across the whole area?" Had to run into the bathroom again, throw down towels, trying to soak up everything, trying to keep it from getting to the carpeting, trying to stop the water. Had to—I realized you can turn off the water on the toilet. Took care of that, and. Completely overflowed a completely crap-filled toilet on Thanksgiving Day with my whole family downstairs. Um, and that was my Thanksgiving.
2: I had that. I, I I
1: I don't know what else to say about it other than the fact that I did get it unplugged eventually, but not until we had to like siphon out some of the toilet bowl water. I had to throw away like four towels of my parents um, and I spent... Like an hour disinfecting.
2: Yeah. The other day, Mac clogged a toilet and I kind of shook his hand. I said, Welcome, welcome to the first step in being a man, buddy. It's that's a rite of passage for any young man. I feel like you clog your first toilet, you know, it's like a learning moment, right? It's like, all right, bud, here's what you do take the back off, pull up on the thing. You got to yell for dad. (laughs) You got to take, you know, turn the water off. And then,
1: you know, it's just, it's stepping stones. Yeah. See, I didn't turn out the water off. That's uh <laughs> live and learn, Dan, live, live and, and learn, Dan. So with that, uh, we've got a lot more questions we didn't get to cover, but, um, we'll keep, we'll keep part tackling two. them. We'll keep tackling. Yeah. Part two. Uh, any final thoughts, Mr. Johnson? I got to go pick my kid up from school. All right. Get out of here. Go pick up your kid and, uh, we'll chat soon. All right. Thanks, man. Got to go. Yep. Sorry. See ya. No worries. Bye and that is a wrap for episode 323 thank you all for listening thank you in advance for all of you who are picking up a copy of that wild country i appreciate you hearing out my little pitch on the beginning i really appreciate your support um means the world so thanks for that best of luck in the woods and until next time stay wired to hunt at your local auto parts store, or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.